as we open the word today, let's go ahead and pray. We, uh, we've been in a sermon series called Questions That Matter. I'm wrapping that up today. We've been looking at many accounts of Jesus where he encountered someone and he asked them an important question. And in that question, I believe we find truths today that are still important for each one of us. I'm wrapping that series up today. And uh, as we open the word, let's go ahead and pray. And, and in particular, we proclaim that Jesus Christ is our joy. Father, we thank you that you are our joy, that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ so that each one of us could be rightly reconciled to you. And as we believe upon the Lord Jesus, you set things right. You redeem us, you restore us, you make all things new. And that is why we can smile today. And we thank you for that. No matter what we're going through today, we know that we have joy. And his name is Jesus. We thank you for Northwest Church. I pray as we open your word, God, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would illuminate the word, that you would teach us and instruct us, that you would encourage us and equip us. And Lord, we pray that the things that we walked in here with that are holding us down, those burdens that we're not, that you wouldn't have us carry, I pray, God, that you would help us to give those to you in exchange for what you have for us today. We thank you for what you'll do in Jesus', Jesus mighty name and God's people said, amen. amen. I did actually forget one piece of news that I, that I have to share with you. If you have a Bible first, go ahead and turn to John chapter 21. If you have a Bible, John chapter 21, a piece of news that I wanted to share with you is every Christmas Eve, historically, we have received an offering, and we're going to continue that tradition this Christmas Eve during our services, the, the three services that we have, and we usually receive a specific designated offering for something in, as, that might be in the form of like supporting missions or something that God puts on our heart, and as I prayed about it this year, wanting to continue that, uh, what was on my heart, and I shared it with the business council and the missions council and the staff, and everybody was just overjoyed and felt that this was right, is that our former senior pastor, uh, Steve Shell, is uh, writing, continuing to write the eight commentaries that God has put on his heart. In fact, he taught all of that right here. Many of you, if not most of you, were a part of all that that was. You got to receive from the teaching ministry of our former pastor, and really, you were just a part of that. And what I think we ought to do is receive an offering to fund each and every one of those commentaries. And so all the money that we receive, yeah, you can, you can, come on. If we're all in, we're all in. Let's do it. I, I, I like claps where we're all in. So culturally from now on, how about if, we, if some clap, we all clap. But not, don't do it right now because I know a couple of you are going to. But just going forward, amen, going forward, starting next week. If there's at least 15 of us in, let's go, let's go all in and support our brothers and sisters who, who are leading us in the clap. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. It's in my heart, though, to, to not just know that it's happening, but actually be a part of it. Because we are. We are. And so I just think that that brings a smile to the Father's face. I did tell Pastor Steve a few weeks ago that this was something that we were going to be doing. I said, Pastor Steve, I'm not asking for permission. This is what we're doing. And he was very touched. He was very touched. And I look forward to when the book of Acts commentary is finished in the next maybe four or five, six months for him and Mary to make their way over here and share with us the good news and, uh, and everyone after that. Amen? 
we're a family, and I just so look forward to what God is doing. So please do prepare your hearts to give. Whatever the Lord puts in your heart to give, uh, my wife and I are doing the same exact thing. We want to be a part of this, so make sure to, to do that. John chapter 21, my message is entitled, Do You Love Me? Verse 15, here's what the scriptures, here's what the scriptures say. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him again, tend my sheep. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. As we look at this passage of scripture, in particular this question, it's important to know some of the context. And we know that Jesus had not only died, but he had risen from the dead at this point. Chapter 20 and the beginning of chapter 21, we, we read that Jesus had appeared to his disciples and many others, it says. And this is the third time that Jesus had appeared to these disciples. We read in the first few verses of chapter 21 that Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and it specifically states that two other unnamed disciples had gone fishing. After Jesus had died, obviously, they had walked away. They had fallen away. Peter had denied Jesus three times. They were utterly discouraged, living in that discouragement, that disillusionment. They had even seen Jesus, like I said, three times at this point, but they don't know to continue with the mission or what they're supposed to be doing, so it makes good sense that they would go back to the vocation that they knew, which was fishing, and so everybody's got to earn a living. They go back to fish, and it says they're out there fishing all night, and they caught nothing. They can't get a break. They can't have success in the venture that they once knew, the job that they once had, they can't catch anything. And it says that as the day is breaking, they see this figure, this person who's on the beach, is on the shore. And that person yells out to them and says, hey, have you caught any fish? No. Why don't you throw your nets on the other side? And so they throw their nets on the other side, even though that's counterintuitive. They're, this man, whoever it is, is talking to them. They're fishermen. They're trained fishermen. Hey, I want you to Throw your nets on the other side. So they obey the voice on the shore, and they do what the voice says, what this person is telling them to do. And it says that as they do that, they were able to catch fish to the point it was just such a large catch. And one of the disciples turned to Simon Peter and said, it's the Lord. And Peter girds himself, jumps into the water, and leaves the disciples, the other disciples behind trying to bring in all those fish in the boat. And he just swims to shore because he wants to see the Lord. What a beautiful picture that it is. Maybe it is that you're like Simon Peter and that's what you would do. Just jump right into the water and leave all of your brothers to bring in the rest of the fish. <laughs> Might be what you would do. At this point when they come to the shore, it's kind of an interesting passage before what I read to you. 
they all get there and it says that Jesus is making them breakfast. Jesus, the resurrected Christ, is now serving his disciples at probably one of the lowest points of their life. And I think this is just an amazing picture. Can you imagine the emotions and the feelings and the thoughts that are going through their mind at this point? You kind of get this feeling like they're probably overwhelmed. I don't even know what Peter's going through. You imagine what Peter's going through at this point? I mean, he's probably living in deep regret based on his denial. We read about his denying even knowing Jesus in John chapter 18. Maybe Peter's looking into the charcoal fire and he's reminded, as the Bible describes, another fire that he was standing next to not that long ago which was the very place when he was questioned if he knew the Lord Jesus. And he says, I don't even know the man. And he does that three times. He's living in the fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus gave. You are going to deny me? He says, I don't even know him. Maybe as he's looking into the charcoal fire while Jesus is making them breakfast, he's, re- he's reminded of his failure, of his betrayal, of his denial. Maybe that's what Peter's thinking. Maybe Peter was thinking about one of Jesus' teachings in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33. You'll remember where Jesus said, I know Peter remembered this, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Maybe that's what Peter's thinking about while Jesus is making them breakfast. I actually wonder if Peter is thinking a little bit more hopeful. It could be that he's not just thinking about whether or not Jesus is there to condemn or remind. Maybe Peter's hopeful. You might remember the criticism that was lodged against Jesus a handful of times. The disciples were told this criticism about Jesus. We see it a couple different places in the Gospels. And the Pharisees actually say this to the disciples that, you know, why is he eating with tax collectors and fish? Why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? Maybe it was that Peter now felt like a sinner and thought, maybe it is that Jesus is here to dine with me because that's just what he does. He's a little more hopeful. He's here, to, he's here to dine with me. Maybe Peter was thinking about the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 14, verse 11. You remember the prodigal son's story that Jesus told. He talked about a father. He talked about a wayward son, and he talked about an older brother. You remember what it says when the wayward son all of a sudden realizes that he doesn't have to live the way that he's living, even though he squandered all of his inheritance. He just has an, a revelation that I could live better if I was just a servant in my father's house. And so he turns himself and begins to walk towards his father's house. And it says when the father sees the lost son from a far way off, he begins to run towards his lost son. Maybe Peter was thinking, is it true? Is it really true in the state, in the condition that I'm in? Is this what God is really like? And are you here to tell me that? Now they're certain that he is the Messiah. They're absolutely positive about who Jesus really was. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And he's wondering in his mind, maybe he's thinking, is this really what God is like? Are you here to condemn me or are you here to give me hope? I I wonder what Peter is thinking. We don't really... We don't really know what Peter was thinking. We can't exactly know, of course. But I think this moment that we're talking about and this question, do you love me, that Jesus asks, we're looking into a restorative time, this passage that gives us clear insight into the heart of God for each one of us and not just Peter. And I think it's profound, it's powerful. I want to share with you a few observational points that I see in this passage. And they're all about restoration. And the first point is this, Jesus came to restore Peter's heart. 
Jesus came to restore Peter's heart. You might remember during the last Passover in John chapter 13, verse 37, this is the, the time where Peter proudly and publicly states that he, was lay, he would lay down his life for Jesus. Another gospel records it this way. Jesus just brashly says, though other people will fall away, Lord, I will not. Not this guy. Not this guy. I'm with you to the end. No matter what happens to you, it happens to me. I'm right by your side. He says that to him, we read in John chapter 13, verse 37. I'm going to lay down my life for you. And we also read in John 13, 37, where Jesus says right back to him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times is what you're going to do. This is what Jesus says to him. Now Peter's right then living in the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy, knowing Peter knowing that he's done the exact opposite of what he said he would do. Think about the failure. Think about the mindset that you have when you have to look someone in the face and literally stand in the failure of the opposite of what you said you would do. Eyeball to eyeball with the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you today that Jesus actually seeks Peter out at the tail end of his failure. And I want to tell you that today. This, doesn't, this isn't a passage where Peter seeks Jesus out. This is the passage after his sin and his failure, Jesus goes and seeks Peter out. And I want to remind you today that that is exactly the God that we serve. We serve a God that even in the midst of our failure and our sin, even when we've named his name, even when we said we would never do that and we would never do this, we serve a God who will seek us out and make us breakfast in the middle of our sin and failure. You like breakfast? Are you breakfast people? Christmas Day, that's what we do. We're going to do breakfast for dinner. Maybe we'll do dinner for breakfast. We don't know. We'll see what the good Lord will do. A little mystery around our house. We're living in Federal Way now. We just don't know. What I do know is family will not come this far. I'll give you phone numbers at the end of the service in case you're interested. <laughs> Don't feel bad for us. Just feel bad for us. <laughs> it's not the same thing. Before Jesus asks him anything, he cooks him breakfast. I just love this picture. I, I, I can feel, you can feel the love of Jesus in this passage. Jesus washed uh, Peter's feet in John 13, in Peter's ignorance and his arrogance, you remember Peter was speaking boastfully, brashly. He was proclaiming all that he would do. And now Jesus is serving him breakfast in his brokenness. Peter's learned a lot about who he really is and the substance of his life. But I want to tell you, in order for us to be restored, in order for our hearts to be restored, we must be convinced, utterly convinced, that God loves us more than our sin and our failures. We have to be convinced. I think the world is wondering and looking for a God that is like this. But we, people of God, sons, daughters of God, people of the household of faith, we have to be convinced that this is the God that we follow. He's not happy about our sins and our transgressions. That's why he came to pay a price for them. But we can't hang our head down when we do stuff like this and, and go, well, that's just, we just stink. We're just terrible. No, Jesus is cooking up a plate of eggs. This is what he does, looks them right in the eyes. I picture Jesus making them breakfast, and as he 
gives them a plate, they can see the scars in his hands. Can you see that? Here he's passing them food, and there's the scars right there. He's looking them eyeball to eyeball right there. This is how far I will go. Peter, I know how far you won't go, and this is what you're like, but let me show you what I'm like. And this is amazing. This is where we read all over the scriptures that while we were faithless, God is still faithful because it's who he is. Restoration is not merely a possibility in God's heart. It's his passion. It's the passion of God to bring us into the place that he originally created us to be. He wants to restore us thoroughly and completely. And that's what I think this scripture really does show us. Jesus turns to Peter and he asks him the question, do you love me more than these? People debate over what these actually mean. It could be that he's talking about the other disciples because Peter publicly has proclaimed at least once or twice that other people will fall away and he won't. And so Jesus could be asking, do you love me more than all the others? Do you love me more than your vocation? Do you love me more than these fishing nets? Do you love me more than these other things? Because Peter, you remember I called you to a mission? You remember I called you to change the world? You remember I called you to shepherd my sheep? Do you love me more than these other things, all that you've gone back to, so that you can continue in obedience with what I've originally called you to do? Do you love me more than your old way of life? Do you love me more than these? We don't exactly know what he fully meant by that, but he's certainly asking him this question. Do you love me three times, matching his three denials, full and complete restoration? And I know sometimes you'll hear people get into the Greek words behind the word love. It's debatable as to whether or not that's the difference. We get wrapped up in some of those things. But I I just want to tell you that what I believe Jesus is doing in the midst of, of some of those types of things is he's bringing Peter out of a place of regret and he's bringing him into a place of fresh repentance. The first thing for us to be restored is that we have to know that God loves us even in the midst of our sin and failures. I don't have to ask for a show of hands if anybody has sinned in this room. Have you sinned this week? And the crowd goes silent. (laughs) He's bringing him into fresh repentance in order for us to be restored, it's not just that we know he loves us, but we also have to come to a place of repentance. And Jesus is faithful to continue to lead us into fresh repentance and surrender. It is the gift of God to each one of our lives that we can turn from what he didn't create us for and turn toward what he did create us for. That means that today's a new day. That means that his mercies are new every morning. That means you woke up today and whatever happened yesterday does not have to be true of your today. It means that today is a bright day to start following Jesus. Maybe you named the name of Jesus yesterday and you failed all over the place. Now, I'm not saying you have, but it could be true. But if it's true, what's even more true is his mercy is new today. Isn't that amazing? Jesus looks Peter eye to eye without mentioning what he had done. He speaks to where he is right then and right there, which further shows us that repentance is not merely about the past, but it's actually about the future. He doesn't just bring up what he had done, and it's because Peter probably had a moment with Jesus prior to this. He's seen him three times. It's my assumption that Jesus has already brought forgiveness to him. I'm absolutely sure that Peter has groveled in the dirt. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry that I denied you. This is not what I wanted to do. Jesus, I forgive you. 
I'm certain that that's happened. We, we already read about John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. I'm certain in that moment, Jesus says, can I get a five minutes of your time? <laughs> you know, Jesus, can I get five minutes of your, can we have a, an appointment? They pulled out their iPhones and they got an appointment on the calendar. And they had a little forgiveness session. But you know, forgiveness can remove us Remove the guilt from our lives. Peter's living in that guilt. That guilt is heavy. It's weighing on him right then. Forgiveness can remove guilt. But you know, Jesus wants to do more than just forgive us. He wants to restore us. He wants to bring us all the way back to what he created us for. His intention for our life. I don't just want to give you relief. You're on the ground and you're suffering and you're struggling and you're sitting there in your sin. And I forgive you, but I want you to stay there on the ground. That is not what Jesus does. Jesus will forgive us to remove the guilt, but then he wants to get us up on our feet so that we can do everything that he's called us to do. Forgiveness is awesome and we need forgiveness, but let me stand you to your feet so that you can move forward. Because if that guilt continues to rest on your life, you're going to continue to wonder, can I be the man? Can I be the woman that God's called me to be? Can I do what Jesus wants me to do? Is there another chance for me? Can I tell you this morning that God is not a God of second chances? He is a God that gives you as many chances as you and I need until we stand to our feet and are about his business. He's relentlessly pursuing every person in this room, and you know it as well as I do. He wants everything. He'll cook you breakfast to prove it. He asks him three times this question, do you love me? He's not trying to shame him. He's not trying to shame him at all. Have you failed as a Christian? Have you tried, lied, and denied? All of the above? I asked that question last night. My 11-year-old son over here raised his hand. <laughs> that is me. <laughs> I was like, you're darn right it is. <laughs> Getting him saved every day. <laughs> our sins have a way of bringing regret, which weighs us down and becomes a dictator over our life. It becomes this strong voice telling us what we should do, telling us what we can't do, where we can go, where we can't go. That's what the power of regret can do. It can grip us in the past memories of our failures, and God wants to break us free because it's not who we are. When I read the scripture and it says that when Jesus comes into our life, we are new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. This is a passage that we are reading today that literally show us that Jesus is committed to making sure that's true of our lives. That all things are new. He doesn't shy away from looking into our face and dealing with the issues and the failures and the sins that we've committed. Maybe we do that sometimes. Maybe I do that. It's not that bad. What I've done is not that bad. He's not trying to act like it's not that bad. He's not trying to push it away and act like it doesn't happen. In fact, during breakfast, he turns over and looks at Peter. Do you, do you love me? Do, do, do you love me? He's dealing with his heart. He wants to restore his heart. In order to do that, Peter's got to be a man of repentance. Not just... Asking for forgiveness, right? You know, when you fail, when I sin, when you sin, what happens is we feel bad. We should. When we grieve the heart of God, when we transgress what God created us to do and who he created us to be, we, we feel bad. But guilt, if it's not properly processed and deal, dealt with, will kill us. 
There is only one person that knows what to do with our guilt. Now, I'm thankful. I am thankful for all the tools that we have today, self-awareness and all of the various opportunities that we have to talk with people and process life and where we're at and all of that is wonderful. But you know what? If we don't give our guilt to the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one that knows what to do with it, then we will remain in a level of regret and being weighted down and it is not the life that God created us for. I say this utterly clearly. I I will be as bold as I can be. Jesus is the only one that can take our guilt. And when he takes it, he gives us a divine exchange. He takes our guilt and he gives us joy. That's the only way that we can have joy. The only way that we can feel like there's a new day upon us is because he can take that and replace it with something better. We try so hard. I try so hard to to make my life better or different or whatever, but he's he's the only one that can really truly do that. We all know that that's true. Peter, in this particular passage is finding that finding that out but we thank God for repentance Jesus desires to restore us and he will he will as we come to him in repentance knowing that he loves us the second point I want to make is Jesus restored Peter's confidence I just love how this question that he asks him when you think about it from various angles Jesus could have said hey Peter why'd you deny me It's sort of like your best parental moments if you're a parent. I mean, as early as my kids, I would ask my kids this question before they could even talk, which obviously is nonsense. Why'd you do that? (laughs) You really expect to get a good answer? Like a logical progression of thought from your child? Maybe 11 years old, 12, you know, God bless them. Hey, we were all kids too. If you're kids in this room, I'm not making fun of you. We were all kids. But... Sometimes we ask our kids, why did you do that? And we are not expecting a really good answer. I mean, could we get an honest confession from the house today? It's your anger or whatever, you know. It's like we really are not. It's not a real question. You know, if they, I I should say this to all the kids in the room. If you really want to give them a good answer when when they ask you that, it's like, are you really asking a question? Do you really want to know what I was thinking when I did, when I burned the dresser? I mean, is that, do you want, you know? (laughs) <laughs> you know, when I gave the dog a new haircut, do you want to know what I was thinking? I thought it would be funny to see a mohawk on the dog, all right? It's just not rocket science, mom and dad. I'm not thinking a whole lot. And we'll even, we'll even answer their question for them, won't we? This is just therapeutic. You're welcome, but it's like, why did you do that? I know you weren't thinking. It's like, you just answered my question. <laughs> we, we, do, we just do that. You're welcome. It's good. Yeah. But Jesus doesn't do that to Peter. He doesn't look at him and say, why did you do You know why? Because that question is a question of shame. I want you to know what you did is wrong. It's not really a question. It's just to make sure you know that I know how bad and how wrong what you did was. It's not a real question. Jesus doesn't do that to Peter. Why did you do that? Peter asks him a totally different question. He says, Do you love me? And what was he doing? This is my thought. I I think that Jesus was drawing a renewed confession of Peter's heart. I think he was drawing out that confession, Lord, I love you. He's let everyone down, including himself. 
And so here Jesus just puts that question to him. Maybe you've let people down. Maybe you've let yourself down. And you've done what you said you wouldn't do. Maybe you've done it again and again and again. Can I tell you that Jesus wants to restore our confidence? Not confidence in self. In fact, what Jesus will do is he will break the confidence that we have in ourselves. He will allow that to be broken so that he can renew our confidence in him. Our confidence in his mercy, our confidence in his love, our confidence in his power and in his word to give us a new day. Don't you want a new day? We roll into the new year and we have all of these different things that we say we're going to do and the gym gets real packed and you know how it is. We try harder to do better and all of that, but don't you know that Jesus actually gives us a new day and a new opportunity? We can reinvent ourselves. It's one of the reasons I'm not the biggest fan of all of the categorization and personality type things that are out today. Now, if you like them, I like you. (laughs) But you want to know that your pastor loves the Word of God. You shouldn't care if I don't like personality tests. (laughs) But some people get really offended like I'm talking about the Bible. I don't care. But do you know what? It bothers me sometimes when we over-categorize one another because we can be held back by who we think we are never knowing that growth is possible. I'm sorry, but I just won't allow. It's one thing to say these are my tendencies. It's another thing to be stuck in those tendencies. I want to tell you this morning, you can reinvent yourself. There are things that we categorize about ourselves And we live there. Well, that's just how I am. It's how you've been. Maybe it is that God wants us to be different. I'm not suggesting that introvert or extrovert or any of those things are right or wrong. I'm just saying sometimes God will call us way outside of what our personality test tells us that we are. And if we stand there and stay there and go, well, you know, I'm a number nine on the Enneagram. And that's just not how I flow. It's just not who I am. Well, I don't think Jesus knew that you were a nine. (laughs) Oh, can't ask them for that. It's silly. I'm not against it. I know some of you. I'm sorry. But my point is, is that I want to lead us to change. I want to lead us to renewed confidence. And if we already think we know everything about, do you know you change? Do you know that? If you're married, you know. You woke up 15 years later and you're like, who are you? Who are you? You remember when we read five love languages? I thought I had your love language down. It changed. What happened? Let me check your ID. Gosh, what is going on? I mean, all that's fine. I'm thankful for all of that. But what I know is that God wants to give us confidence in him and not in ourselves. He wants to restore Peter's confidence. And, and, and I love this because is your sin the song that you want to sing? Is that the story that you want to tell? Or do you want to sing the song, I will sing of your love forever. I will share of your good news forever because that's more powerful. That's really what we're after here. And when I talk about all the other things, there's so many things that hold us back in life. And I really don't apologize. I just don't even pay attention to it. I want to pay attention to who God calls me to be. And that's the first and the foremost. I'll stay ignorant of some other things. You're welcome. That's all right. Pray for me. 
Peter's earlier confession, even though they all fall away, I will follow you. You know what his new confession is on the third question that Jesus asks? It's not the same, is it? He says, you know all things, Lord. You see how humility will shift your confession. Yeah, Peter was whatever number he was. He was just bold. Yeah, you know, everybody's going to fall away, but I won't. I'm always there. You know, you can count on me. I'm the rock. Remember the rock? I'm the rock. You call me the rock. And his new confession when Jesus says, do you love me is, Lord, you, can you imagine his head? You know, you know all things. You know all things. He trusted in what Jesus knew and what Jesus would say instead of just boldly and brashly saying whatever he was used to. I just love that. You know, humility is such an important part of confidence. Confidence is the thing that gets us back up on our feet and says that we can because he said I can. Confidence is not arrogant. We, arrogance. We need to be very clear about this. Sometimes we mistake confidence for arrogance. But confidence might look like that to a person that doesn't have an I can theology. Confidence says I can. Arrogance says I can do it better than you. Arrogance is about pitting itself against everyone else. Confidence is about looking at God, hearing his word and saying, yep, I'm all about it. There's nothing arrogant about obeying the word of God. He wants to renew our confidence in him. It says, even though I have sinned and failed, God can use me even now. This is what confidence is all about. Maybe your past has robbed your confidence. I know, I know this is the case because I've, I've preached in so many different places. And one of the things that I learned when I got to be on the circuit preaching around in churches is I would go out there and I'm Mr. Evangelist. Come on, God wants to use your life. God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. He wants to put his word in your mouth. You, come on, get excited. He wants to put it... He wants to put his word in your mouth. I would go for it. And I wanted to inspire the people of God to being used by God because that's exactly how I feel. I feel like I'm that nobody that God said, hey, if you want, I'll use you. I want to use you. And I'm like, really? That's just how I am. And so I want everybody else to feel that. But as I preach that, it's amazing the film that we have over our eyes and the filters that we have over our ears. And I would preach that message that God wants to use you. And I would feel the guilt Almost like ping, playing ping pong with the congregation. Now, not you guys, of course. But I would, feel, I would preach that message and I would feel guilt. Oh, Pastor Ben, it's another thing that I'm not doing well. Another thing that I'm not doing. I'm not praying enough. You're talking about reading the Bible every day. Every day, I know I'm failing at that. You're talking about sharing the gospel. And, you know, that's just not my MO. And I don't like talking to people. I don't even know if I like people. And I know I'm supposed to. And I can't even go to the store and look in the eyeballs of another person. And here you are, just Mr. Extrovert, telling us what we ought to do. And, Pastor Ben, that's not me. And, and, and that's for other people. And your evangelism class. But you should probably just talk about love and joy and peace and integrity or whatever in the main services. We're all not like you. And you know how it is, is that guilt starts to become God in your life. So you no longer can do the things that the word calls us to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like, it's guilt. And we have these filters over our ears. And so we hear the word of God and, and we're not really hearing the word of God. We hear the, the guilty version. We hear God's voice through guilt and regret and what we haven't done. And maybe we've received forgiveness, but we're still sitting on the ground forgiven. And we're sitting there and we're like, I'm so thankful I'm forgiven and I can't wait for heaven. <laughs> Listen, people, stop waiting for the rapture. Unpack. <laughs> All right? We got a job to do. 
I want the whole world to know Jesus. If the rapture happens, as some people say it does, which I'm not entirely bought into, I will be flying up, crying out for the earth to come to know Jesus. Because that's one thing I won't get to do in heaven. And no, I'm not an evangelist, but my heart burns for people, not just to get forgiven, but to get the confidence of God to go into the world and share his goodness with them, regardless of who we are, regardless of what my past is, regardless of what my failures were. Maybe yesterday I denied the Lord, but today is a new day, and he wants to give me, he wants to give me confidence. It's easy to go back to what you know. In Adam and Eve's case, it's easy to hide in the bushes. We don't have the confidence to stand before God or before people to be these spiritual type people. But God can give that to us. God can give that to us in the way that he wants to. God will take the broken and the bruised and use their life. Maybe that's how you feel. Maybe, Maybe you know the love of God and the forgiveness of God, but do you know the confidence that he wants to give you to be the person that can say yes and amen in obedience to the word of how he's called you to live. That's almost like a different thing, isn't it? It's like, thank you. I I can receive what you've done for me, but can I release what you've given to me? I can receive the blessings, the forgiveness, the mercy. I can receive all that. I believe all that. But can I release and share what you filled me with for everyone else. You know, everything that God gives us is enough to share. And when we keep it to ourselves, it's like hoarding, spiritually speaking, because it's just supposed to overflow. The mercy is supposed to overflow. The grace is supposed to overflow. The good news is supposed to over. He gave you too much. You can't keep it to yourself. Go ahead and smile because you're full because you're full. He wants to give us confidence knowing that I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I've been spiritually capacitated, gifted to be used by God, and even though I failed, today is a good day to be used by the Lord. That's confidence. That's Godfidence. That felt good. I have no idea if that even sounds right. Jesus looked in the eye and called the truth out of him. Do you love, do you love me? Do you love me? Say it again. I've had people tell me before, like, I'm not authentic, and, you know, I, I don't even want to stand in worship. I don't even want to lift my hands because I'm, I'm, I'm an imposter. I'm a hypocrite. You know what? That's everybody. You know, the question is not, are you perfect? The question is, are you willing to stand in your process and give him the worship that he's due because he's the one that changes the story of our life? And, and we just want to boot guilt and shame and condemnation. I'm not talking about not dealing with our sin. I'm talking about dealing with our sin in the light of his glory, in the light of his mercy, in the light of his forgiveness, and giving it all to him because he's given too much for us not to exchange it. I'm talking about having a new way and a new day. This is what I'm talking about. Jesus, he knows how to do this so well. I'm talking about having a renewed confession because even if your confession, and I don't mean faith, weight, well, well, faith, Health, wealth, TV stuff, you know. I'm not talking about that. I mean, that's just crazy stuff. Like, if we could just say it, then it'll happen. No, no, no. We have to have a corresponding commitment. But just because we're not all the way there doesn't mean we shouldn't say, God, I love you. He's not asking, are you perfect? He didn't say, Peter, are you going to do everything perfect from this day forward? He said, do you love me? Then say it out of your mouth. 
do you love me? Then say it with your words. I want it to come out of your mouth. Jesus will call that out of us because we'll start speaking it, we'll start praying it, and we'll start believing it and living in it. Otherwise, it's like, you know, he'll use other people, but I, I, just, I just don't know. I just don't know about me. And we start saying all these other things, and he wants to boot that stuff out, out, of our, out of our life. At least that's the way I think of it. He'll give you your confidence back. Go ahead and say confidence. That's amazing. He wants to give us confidence. Confidence is not arrogant. The third thing I see here is, is Jesus came to restore Peter's call. First, he wanted to restore his heart, then his confidence, and now his call. Jesus spent three years teaching and training the disciples to continue his ministry, and all, all that could have been thrown away because of his sin and failures. Think about that. Three years of teaching and training and ministry. All that could have been thrown away because of Peter's sin and failure. In this particular passage, we see that Jesus, Jesus knows what's at stake. I'm going to specifically come to you and I'm going to deal with this. And I'm going to help you overcome it. After every question and confession of Peter, Jesus says, tend my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then tend my sheep, shepherd my sheep. This is what I want you to, if you love me, this is what I want you to do. John chapter 14, verse 15 is very similar, where Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And again, if we have filters on our ears, we hear like, if you love me, if you really, really love me, Pastor Steve, then do what I tell you to do. We laugh because some people hear God like that, don't they? Maybe you hear God like, if you, if you loved, and it causes us to have that guilt even when we stand worshiping. I don't want to raise my hands because he sees, he sees my hypocrisy. No, raise your hands because he's worthy of worship. Say you love him because that's the truth of our heart. That not, might not be the truth of our sin, but he came to deal with that because he, he, he knew we couldn't. But we hear that. We hear a God that's just angry and mad, and there's nothing that we can do to satisfy his anger in our life. If you really know, he's like, guys, listen, you've walked with me, and I'm not trying to lighten him up and, and give you the picture of the hippie Jesus, okay? But I'm just, this is how I really think it was. I think Jesus is saying, guys, listen, I'm going to go, and they're like, what? I'm going to send to the Father, and I'm going to send you the promised Holy Spirit, the Comforter. He'll be with you forever, and they're, they can't conceive of this plan. They don't, and Peter's even like, Lord, that's never going to happen. You know, he's awesome. And so as this is going on, Jesus is like, hey, hey, hey. The emotions are running in them. And he goes, hey, hey, guys, if you love me, don't forget the last three years where I talked to you about what to do and how to do it. Just obey what I command. When this plan starts to happen, when you see the things that I said start to go down, here's what I want you to do. Express your love for me by just doing the things that I taught you for these three years. Don't lie down in self-pity. Don't walk away and go back to fishing. Just do what I told you to do. And he restores his call in this moment, reminds him of what he's already told him. Jesus is bringing Peter beyond the confession and focusing him on the mission that is at hand because there's a lot at stake. He trusted his mission into his hands, into the disciples' hands, and he's doing the same thing with us. There's a lot at stake. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then here is what I want you to do. Don't focus on your sin. Focus on my sheep. Don't focus on your failure. Focus on my flock. Don't be consumed with feeling sorry for yourself be focused on serving someone else. 
Focus on something else other than yourself. That's what regret and guilt will do if it's not properly processed. It'll keep us there focusing on ourselves. No wonder depression and anxiety is the next of kin. I mean, seriously. I'm not saying that there isn't such a thing as clinical depression and anxiety. Certainly there is, and I'm not a doctor. But I think often when the message of the gospel is not properly preached with the promise of transformation of our life. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we surrender our lives to Jesus, he will transform us from the inside out. No, not everything's perfect overnight, but now we enter into this developing process from glory to glory, from one place to another, from faith to faith. And to not believe that is to not believe that he has the power to take us from where we are to where he wants us to be. And he wants us to be in a place where our call is restored. Our call, the call of God on our life is restored. That we're not just living to survive. We don't just fish (laughs) or whatever you do, whatever I do. We're not just fishers in the world, but we're fishers of men. We're useful in the hands of the master. We must realize that forgiveness removes guilt, but restoration stands us back up on our feet. And it points us back in the direction of our purpose to faithfully follow Jesus and fulfill his word in our lives. If Jesus had not carefully restored Peter, I believe that he would have disqualified himself from ministry. And I think that's what I want to say to you today is that Jesus, no matter what you're facing, maybe there's a painful memory in your past. Maybe there is something that although you name the name of Jesus and you've sought to serve him and do all of this, maybe there's something that is so gripping in your life that it continues to X you out of the thing that God really has called you to be about. I, I, I want to tell you that that is not supposed to be the story of our lives. And another year and another year and another year goes by and we just wonder like, is it true? In all of my pain, sin and transgressions and all of my failures, would Jesus make breakfast for me and look me in the face, deal with the things of the past and say, now I want you to get up and I want you to speak up And I want you to step up because it's not about who you are. It's about who you are in me. Is that really the way that that it works? I, I think it is. I think Jesus says to all of us, go feed my sheep. Feed the people that you have influence with. Tend to the people that he puts in your path. But you know, when you, when, when we're like this, we don't even see. If you got your head down, you can't even see anybody, can you? You got your head down, you can't even look anybody in the eyes. What sheep? I don't see any sheep. That's right, because you see your own feet. Maybe that's why we like to just focus on ourselves and get dressed so nice and get all everything. You know, it's like how we look because we're just navel-gazing too much. (laughs) And that's kind of depressing. The older you get, it's like, I'm not really trying to look there. You know what I'm saying? I was... um, I've told you before, if you've listened to me for any length of time, I don't expect you to remember everything I say, but there are stories that I've talked to you about. I have a checkered past, much more than you might realize, and so it was really nice to move to Federal Way where pretty much nobody knows me, and so you don't bump into people, but it was always good to bump into people who did know me BC, and then I got to tell them about my story of meeting Jesus, and they're like, really? Are you serious? Serious as a heart attack. And so coming down here, you know, I've told, I summarize my sinful past because I want to glorify what Jesus has done and not that stuff. And so that's really what I do. But 
I, let's just say I had a run-in with uh, a certain police officer a couple times and uh, in this particular city. It was a couple years after I got saved, and I was at a gas station, and I look over, and there's the police officer who I knew quite well. And the first thought in my mind was to shy away, okay? And then the second thought was that renewed confidence. No, 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 no. I got nothing to shy away from. So I walked over to the guy. And I said, hey, you might not remember. He goes, oh, I remember you, Ben. <laughs> like, All right, just wanted to see. Sorry. No, I didn't do that. Didn't do that. <laughs> but I walked up to him and I said, hey, I, I just wanted to let you know that a few years ago I gave my life to Jesus and he's just been changing me from the inside out. I'm not the same person. And I wanted to tell you that I'm sorry. I'm sorry for instigating other people to do evil and to do wrong. I'm sorry for giving you headache. I'm sorry for making things unsafe. You're here to protect and serve. You want to take care of people. You have a job, and, and I don't want you to be unsafe. I don't want your family to wonder what's going to happen to you. I just, I just want to tell you that I'm sorry, and I've committed my life to Jesus, and he set me on this path, and so all things are new, man, and, and that's, that's, that's what I wanted to say. And he kind of looks at me and goes, oh, okay, well, nobody's ever said that to me before, and that was it. Then it was just awkward city. <laughs> and I go, well, okay, uh, well, it's good to see you. I'm going to go back to my car, sit in my car, not in the back of yours, you know. <laughs> I didn't say that. I just, I'm just playing into it. I'm playing. I'm just, uh, I'm not saying I've ever been there before. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> A couple years later, I'm at the YMCA, and I'm working out. I'm on the elliptical machine. And in walks this same guy. This is several years later. In walks this guy, and he gets on. He's still a police officer. He gets on the elliptical machine next to me, and we're working out together. And then we start talking. And it's almost like the past had never happened before. He's kind of like, what's up? I'm like, what's up? And so now we're talking. And I'd see him a couple times a month, and we engaged in conversation. I, I swear, six weeks in, he's telling me about a failed marriage. He's opening his heart to me about what's going on in his life. I just want to say something to you. When God gives you confidence, he changes your life. He can make you a minister to the people that you've been a menace to. He has the ability to do that. My confidence is not in myself. I've got, that's, that ship has sailed. But I really truly believe that God can use us. And this is, this is the story of my life. Call it arrogance, fine. But I just believe in the mercy of God, the transformation power of God. I got to minister to this guy again and again and again. It was, it was amazing. It was amazing. That's what God will do. And I just want to encourage you that even if you feel like your heart's been restored, maybe your call hasn't been restored yet. Maybe Jesus, you want to see Jesus look into your eyes in the midst of the sin and the failures and all that, knowing that he loves you deeply, seriously, and he wants to get you back on your feet. Come on, let's do this. I've called you to more than this. There's something that I need you to have open eyes for. Let's take the film off our eyes. Let's take the filters off our ears and start to, start to hear what Jesus is saying. Let's not let another year go by without that happening. Now, amen. I prayed for our services this weekend, and the Lord speaks to me prophetically. Every time I wait on the Lord for a word, you know what? He just gives it. Isn't that beautiful? My theology is that the Holy Spirit is too close for me not to hear him. The Holy Spirit lives in you, right? This is amazing. I mean, it's just amazing. Waiting on the Lord, I, I saw this vision. I had this picture of somebody that was in an airport. They were in the, in the, the ticket line, 
You know when you go up to the ticket line and you've got to check your bags? This picture that I saw of this person was, had one bag, and as they're entering in, they're next in line, and they're getting up to the place where they've got to check in their bag, and they're contemplating like you often do. I know I do this. Do I have, is my bag too heavy? Is it about, you know, and they knew in their mind, I just knew I could feel what they were feeling, like my bag is too heavy, there's too much in my bag. So when I put it on the scale of accountability, the person at the ticket counter is going to tell me that this is not 50 pounds, but this is 60 pounds or whatever. And so that, that, that little anxiety of did I pack too much? And this person put the bag on the scale and it was like 10, 15 pounds over. Ticket counter person says to this individual, as I'm watching this vision, you're going to have to take some stuff out of, your, out of your luggage. And so they take it out and they have to look through all the luggage and take enough out so that they can be at the appropriate weight. And here's the word that I felt, felt like the Lord gave me as I saw that vision. It's just a funny picture. But where God is taking some of us, some things cannot go. And it's, it's not part of our luggage. It's old baggage that he wants to look into our eyes and deal with and help us to get rid of. There are things that are present right now in our lives. There are just a few things. Maybe it's an old thing. That just that residual is there. And every time we get into a circumstance, we're wondering if that thing is going to reveal itself or not. Where God is taking you, some things cannot go. And it's not just sin, but it might be old ways of thinking. It might be old thoughts about who you are. It might be the way that you've categorized yourself forever and ever. And the Lord's saying, where I'm sending you, this cannot, this won't make the cut. So Jesus wants to help us go through our luggage so that we don't have any baggage. Because we're going somewhere. You're going somewhere. You hear what I'm saying today? That word's for somebody this morning. So I prophesy that to you. The Lord will help you to get rid of whatever that might be. Would you stand this morning as we pray? Thank you, Lord. If that word's for you, you just go to the Lord. Let me pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. We look forward to what you'll do. And I pray that your word would produce fruit in our lives. I ask that you would restore our hearts. I pray that you would restore our confidence. I pray that you would restore our call. And I prophesy over Northwest Church that all over this church that you are standing many up. And maybe it's been a while, but you are standing us up on our feet and saying today is a new day. Mercies are new every morning. I have called you to put your hand to the plow and not look back. We prophesy about those things that are in our life, the part of our luggage that does not belong. It's not supposed to make the scale. We pray, God, wherever that might be in our lives, that you would help us to get rid of those things, those old mindsets, those old ways of thinking, those old ways of those old fears about what you might say if we start listening to you and asking you to speak to us directionally, positionally. I pray, God, that you would remove those things in our life, that we could simply serve you with joy. And so I thank you for that today in Jesus' name. As you go, be strengthened by God's word. Be filled with God's spirit. Be mindful of God's voice. Be focused on his mission as we bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus. God bless you this morning. We're so glad you were able to join us today. We would like you to find out more about Northwest Church by going to our website, 
foursquare.org or downloading our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.